perfection equals disconnection. And so, you know, if you want to deconstruct that a little bit, leaders who feel that they have to be perfect, then demand that their people have to be perfect. And that's that's one of the reasons why that old style creates a culture of fear, because there's no such thing as perfect. And then they end up, you know, blaming and shaming if they make a mistake. And then they all of a sudden create a culture where people feel like they can't speak up, they can't make mistakes, they can't take risks, and then you don't have an innovative culture. It's just thatness, I think, about saying, you know, this is who I am, this is what I can contribute. I am confident enough that, you know, if it works for you, it will. And if it doesn't, that's okay too. So for me, there isn't any context where I'm not my whole self, but I am, you know, and we'll talk about what it means um, to be a modern leader. Being able to read a situation and read a room is an essential component of that because you obviously have to judge when is it appropriate to build rapport through, you know, sharing a story which brings that real commonality or when is it appropriate to just be quiet and listen. Welcome to the Connected Leadership Podcast hosted by Andy Lapata, the show where Andy and his guests explore the many ways in which relationships impact business decisions, make leaders' jobs easier, and help you to progress your career. Hello and welcome to the Connected Leadership Podcast. I'm Andy Lapata. Thank you very much for joining me. This is the final new uh, Connected Leadership Podcast of 2023. We're going to take a bit of a holiday from the podcast for a few weeks, but fear not, you will still get your weekly dose of Connected Leadership Podcast. We've been going for three years now. I think this is episode number 212. So there's plenty in the archive that I'm sure you won't have heard or it will benefit you to revisit perhaps. So over the next few weeks, as a regular listener, you may have become accustomed to, you'll be seeing Connected Leadership Gold come in uh, instead of new episodes. And we'll be back in mid-January with new episodes of the Connected Leadership Podcast. Uh, One quick plug, uh, again, I mentioned this last week, the new book that will be coming out in May next year, The Financial Times Guide to Mentoring, which I've co-authored with Dr. Ruth Gotian, is now available for pre-order on online bookstores. So you can treat yourself to a Christmas present for holiday reading next summer. It feels really weird plugging it six months ahead, but I won't be doing it every week for the next six months, I promise you. But just a quick reminder that that's there as well. On to our guest today. I'm finishing the year with a bang, and I'm going to get into this biography, this introduction, because it's much longer than normal. I didn't know what to cut. Uh, for a quick introduction. We basically, forget your Kerry Packers, forget your Rupert Murdochs, we've got a true superstar of Australian business joining us. She's one of Australia's most prominent leadership experts. She's an award-winning author, columnist and company director, uh, awarded the member of the Order of Australia this year for her significant contributions to business and gender equality. She's also making a global impact. I mentioned last week I'd met Michelle Johnston at the Thinkers 50 Awards in London. I also met Kirsten there, and she was ranked in the world's top 50 management leaders in Thinkers 50 and won the Distinguished Award in Leadership during that event in London a few weeks ago. So she's riding the crest of a wave at the moment, but her career includes three decades of leadership experience including appointment by the Australian Prime Minister as Acting Chair and Deputy Chair of the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. 
She's been the CEO of a global consulting firm, was a senior executive at a leading corporate law firm, and spent nearly 10 years as an officer in the Royal Australian Air Force. On top of that, I don't know where she finds the time. She's got a PhD in leadership and culture and an honours and honours degrees, plural, in law and also history. She's an adjunct professor at the QUT Business School and a Sir Winston Churchill Fellow. Uh, and a jolly good one at that, I'm sure. She writes a popular weekly column for the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age called God a Minute, answering the nation's work, leadership and culture question. Kirsten Ferguson, I think that's about all the time we have this week on the Canadian. <laughs> Thank you very much, Andy. It was lovely to be here. <laughs> it's really, really great, great uh, to have you join us. And, and, and what a great way to finish the year. I'm really excited for our conversation. We met briefly in London. You came and recorded. You were our first uh, guest on our video recordings for our I videos love- on mentoring. And, and, I loved, you know, loved meeting you, and and yeah. I'm so excited for your book. And yes, you should be flogging your book at every <laughs> so everyone should be pre-ordering it and then ordering a second copy as well. Absolutely. Well, today is about flogging your book, or actually, it's a <laughs> it's about referencing your book and giving lots of great value in this conversation. So, your latest book is called Heart, Head and Heart Leadership, and I thought that was a great. Topic Head and Heart, the, the Art of Modern Leadership. That's it. There you go. Head and Heart, the Art of Modern Leadership. Kirsten's waving it at the camera, which is perfect for a podcast. There you um, go. Flogging. I'm experienced <laughs> at flogging books, Andy. This is what you yeah, will do. <laughs> absolutely. Well, it's my sixth one, so I'm well used to the journey now. So I thought that makes a really nice theme to round off the year's new interviews. And actually, where I want to start is... In preparing for our conversation today, I went to your website and I saw something quite wonderful and quite unique on there. I haven't seen anywhere else in that you have a pictorial biography featuring landmark uh, moments throughout your life, both personal and professional. So we've got pictures of you as a young girl and, and right the way through your career. I'm not sure I would do the same on my website with my 1980s mullet on show um, uh, well, I know mullets are still fashionable in Australia <laughs> whenever I watch Australian sports. But yeah, I loved it. I thought it was a great touch. And when we're talking about head and heart leadership, there is that mix of the personal and professional. It says to me, bringing the, the whole self, the human being into the professional relationship. So I thought that was a really nice little point to start. So let's start with that journey. Just help us get to know you a little bit more first. What are the standout moments on your journey from a schoolgirl, if you like, through to where you are now? Oh, gosh. it's. I mean, there's been so many. But I I definitely think, yes, I do bring the head and the heart, I hope, to all that I do. And the reason I, I didn't mind sharing those photos is because the reality is that is who we are. We bring our young child to work. We bring the way we were influenced by the early parts in our career. And so there's nothing, you know, that I regret. And every part of it has created experiences and biases and everything that, you know, we bring to what we do now. But I think certainly joining the military, I was only 17. I'd been at an all-girls school and I went off to the Australian Defence Force Academy, which is a bit like a Sandhurst and the Navy and and the Air Force Academies all mixed together. We, we do all of our services together. And that was obviously a massive cultural <laughs> difference. I was there in the 90s there were very few women but it taught me a lot about leadership and it taught me a lot about good leaders and and leadership 
to avoid. And the time I was there is now subject to much review and military investigations because it was pretty tough. And so we still had all that yelling and screaming and bastardization. And, you know, they're the kinds of things that you rarely experience, but it really shows you how ineffective they are as well. And so being in the military, I think, really gave me a foundation for understanding that it's not all about command and control. It's about earning respect. And, you know, when you're doing something that lives might be at risk, you really need to know that the people you're leading are going to follow you into danger. But that was certainly a pivotal moment. And then I think beyond that, you know, I kind of had a career that has been totally diverse. I always wanted to study law, so I went and did that. Then I realised I loved leading people, so I went and led a, a, a business, a consulting business of psychologists, and then got asked to join my first board when I was really quite young. I was only about 35. I was 38 when I joined my first publicly listed board. So I've had a 15-year board career up until actually last week. I just retired from my last public board because I'm now, you know, doing other things like writing and speaking and consulting. So, Andy, I don't know what the pivotal moments are. Certainly the prime ministerial appointment to be the acting chair and deputy chair of the ABC in the middle of a crisis, that was a big moment. But really, you know, I believe leadership is simply a series of moments and every moment's an opportunity for us to leave a positive impact. So there's been countless moments that for me have been important. I, I want to come back in a while to the ABC because the, the BBC in the UK comes under intense scrutiny, so it'll be interesting to hear how... Oh, never happens for the ABC. Very, very similar, yeah. <laughs> well, let's revisit that in a second. Just before we do, I just wanted to note, rather than the question, I guess, unless you want to add to it, it was really interesting you talk about being shouted at in the military and the command and control there, because that was a core part of the conversation last week with Michelle Johnston. With Michelle, we were talking about the paradigm shift in leadership and a way a lot of it was about moving away from command and control and military always comes up as an example and yet on the connected leadership podcast as i mentioned last week several times we've had military leaders on here say well actually the military is not like that anymore it, it's uh, not it's not and that's something i'm always eager to educate people about i think the academies and it, this has been the case with young cadets all over the world have very misguided sense of what leadership is very young you're left to your own devices and it's a bit lord of the flies but as soon as we went out to a unit or were post ice posted to a, a fighter squadron you very quickly learnt as a young 21-year-old that I was leading mainly men who had been in the Air Force longer than I'd been alive. So I needed to understand how to earn the respect of people who were just literally looking at you as the latest fly-by-nighter 21-year-old come in to be their boss. And that requires a huge amount of ability to be a servant leader and to understand that as the officer, I think Simon Sinek's book, Leaders Eat Last, comes from that notion that military officers always ate last. It, it was, it's still a cultural norm and it's symbolic, I think, of the kind of leadership that really does matter in the military. It's not like the platoon movies that we all remember. It, it, it's interesting you said about leading people who'd been 
in the military longer than you'd been alive. I had exactly the same experience. I use the same phraseology a lot when I talk about it ah. because my first job after university, I was a civil servant about the age of 21, 22. And I was leading people who had been in the job longer than I'd been alive, but I didn't handle it as well. And, you know, I wasn't the servant leader. I think I learned a lot by the mistakes I made there. Um, I think we all do. We're yeah, human, yeah. Andy. And I'm <laughs> sure if I had a camera watching me as a young 21-year-old, I'd be cringing now. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, you do learn that having the title is means nothing, really. So I had a title as an officer, but I was leading a whole group of experienced sergeants and corporals and things who, frankly, I needed to learn from, not the other way around. So let's chat, as we've raised it, let's chat about your time with the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. Um, in the BBC, in the UK, it's a political football. I'm, I'm not going to editorialise on this. I've got my own opinion. I'm sure listeners in the UK will do, and listeners in the US will have their view about you know, the broadcast media there and so forth. But just from a neutral perspective, an objective perspective, Everyone has their opinion. It appears to me that leadership of such an organization is like walking on eggshells. Um, how can you get the balance right between bringing your heart into leadership, your whole person into leadership, your opinions and your thoughts about what's right into leadership in such an environment? And I know that, that in Australia you have probably as polarised a political culture as we do here, and you have very similar sides of the fence battling it out, and I'm sure that the ABC is a similar football in the middle of them there. Yes. <laughs> the ABC in Australia is treated exactly the same way as the BBC, and the period in which I was appointed was particularly fraught because due to all sorts of political confrontations and complications, we had lost our chair and the managing director within the space of three days. So you can imagine it was front page news for many weeks. And so I had to come in and navigate a, a crisis situation. And I think anyone leading in a crisis really has to learn how they cope in that situation. And your world becomes very small because you're under a massive microscope and a huge amount of pressure and it's you know really difficult to see the wood for the trees because you are sort of dealing with a new fire to put out every minute you know and it's literally is this the fire that's going to burn down the building in the next hour or is it tomorrow because if it's tomorrow I'll deal with the fire then and so you know it was a fascinating time to see what kind of leader you might be. And none of us really know how we'll cope in those situations. And I think, you know, it's only with hindsight now, I certainly didn't have any insight when I was in the middle of it, because you're just too busy dealing with all the issues. But in hindsight, I think, you know, my military experience actually served me really well. And I'm very calm under pressure, certainly publicly, because and, you know, when you're working with your colleagues, because you know that's exactly what's needed then and there. You know, it's not helpful to be emotional or stressed or reactive. But privately, you know, it's incredibly difficult and you need to be able to have people that you can trust, that you can, you know, download to. But I guess it was a time that, you know, I don't particularly ever want to do again. <laughs> 
but I um, am really grateful is probably the only word I can think of, I guess, to be as gracious as possible to have had that experience because it really shows you what, you know, it can, how challenging it is for leaders at that time. You talked about having someone to download to. And I think one of the, the things that arises for me when you talk about heart-based leadership is that you're investing yourself into what happens, which suggests that it makes it harder to switch off when you're not at work. So when you're in that, that stressful, time-bound situation, how did you switch off and how important was it to have people? Well, what role did your family play? in helping you download or did you try and keep them <laughs> keep them safe and away from that stress and were they a haven away from it an oasis in the desert and, and how important did other people like mentors play a role for you to just be able to switch mm. off when you needed to and, and as you say download yeah I discovered that in extreme stress which this was there I'm quite good at compartmentalizing so at work I was very much able to leave that personal strain and stress and how I was feeling to one side and I'm sure that was purely because it was just not helpful to get through. So you're reading the room, this is not what anyone needs, you need to be absolutely leading from the front. On an, my family, certainly my husband was probably my um, main go to to he understood you know how, what I was dealing with my children were a bit younger and they were having to deal with you know their mother suddenly being in the news and you know profile articles being written and all sorts of things so I tried to keep them from it as much as possible and you know they were just very supportive but I think you know it's very hard to know how to self-care when you're in the middle of a crisis. I think it's the one thing that we deprioritize and that's because you've got so many other priorities calling at you. And, you know, it would have been probably, I, I can't remember, but a month into it before I started to think, okay, I actually need to just have a day trying not to, you know, have to deal with all of this all the time. So it's an interesting one for me to now you know, why I use the word grateful is because when I'm working with other leaders, you know, there's a lot of experience that won't be exactly the same, but that I do know what they're going through and can sort of suggest, well, how are you, you know, dealing with what you're dealing with publicly, but what's that doing for you privately and how are you keeping it all together? Yeah, I do always wonder, you know, when you see leaders in the public eye and they're going, you know, on the front pages of the, the newspapers every day, how that impacts their family and so forth, and particularly if you are not able to switch off. So your ability to compartmentalise is, is, is really important there. Just moving on and, and, and thinking about those professional connections that, that are, are really at the key of everything that, that, that I talk about for sure. We talked earlier about the images of you throughout your personal as well as your professional life on your website. How important do you think it is to connect on the personal as well as the professional level? And where would you say the line is? And has it differed? Does that line differ in different spaces you've been in? Because you've been in corporate, you've been in military, in public sector. So do you engage in a different way in different spaces? I don't now, but I certainly did. And, you know, I remember my children are now, they're not children, they're 23 and 21. But there was a period where I was 
almost hoping no one knew I had children. You know, if I was at home on the phone and someone rang from work, I'd almost be like keeping them in the bedroom to be quiet, you know, where I think that's that old school of trying to keep work and life separate and it's been ingrained in us, whereas I write about modern leaders being able to integrate the leader they are at home in the community with that at work. And so I have no fears now in any context to be who I am. I think there's always a line that you need to draw that if you've got some extreme view that you suspect no one else has, I, you know, you might want to keep that to yourself. But, you know, generally speaking, I don't think I do have any of those views. I want to engage with people as who I am. And a a lot of the feedback I get, and I just had a call before we're talking now from someone who'd heard me speak and, and wanted to talk to me about an opportunity, but they'd like to be on stage. Now, what that means is that you're connecting with someone on a personal level. You're actually just being real and not afraid to make a mistake and not afraid to, for me, it's swear or whatever it might be. I am Australian, so you're lucky you haven't had one yet. (laughs) But it's just thatness, I think, about saying, you know, this is who I am. This is what I can contribute. I am confident enough that, you know, if it works for you, it will. And if it doesn't, that's okay too. So for me, there isn't any context where I'm not my whole self, but I am, you know, and we'll talk about what it means um, to be a modern leader. Being able to read a situation and read a room is an essential component of that because you obviously have to judge when is it appropriate to build rapport through you know, sharing a story which brings that real commonality? Or when is it appropriate to just be quiet and listen? And in fact, your story is totally irrelevant and no one needs to hear that right now. And that ability to connect through knowing when it's going to be helpful, I think is key to building that connection. Create a greater impact as a mentor. Discover how to find the right person to mentor you and make sure that mentoring thrives in your organization with the Financial Times Guide to Mentoring. Andy Lapata and Dr. Ruth Gotian's new book comes out in May and is available to pre-order now. I, I think it's a really good point and it's a really important skill because I think I'm very similar to you. I bring my full self into the conversation and I think there are times when I start sharing a story and I think my, in my head, I'm going, shut up, Andy. <laughs> Wish you hadn't started this. How do I get out of this? How do I get out of this now? And actually, in one of my books, I, I share a story about I'm a big football fan and, and I was a big AFL fan when I was in Australia as well. Um, uh, but I, I go to football every week and I remember being at a match in Birmingham where I was in the away end, supporting my team, Charlton, and the whole away end was up singing a particular chant. And it's a funny chant. It's a jaunty chant. It, it, it's along to a very well-known tune. And it's what's known on the terraces as banter, if you like. It, it's pretty derogatory about the opposition and the town they live in. Let's put it that the people there. And everyone, 2,000 people in this OAM were up and singing it and, and clapping along, kids and grandparents and so on. And I suddenly looked around the ground and I realized that I had clients in every home area. And I thought, how would I feel if they saw me singing this about them? And I think that was a moment where I thought, I don't want to behave in any part of my life that would embarrass me in any other part of my life. Yeah. And then rather than trying to split the personal and the professional personas, just 
have a persona that I'm comfortable with wherever I am and whoever I'm with. And that's what I think has worked really well for me. And as you say, some people might not like it, but that's a filter. I th- Look, I think that's exactly right. And social media is another thing like that. Like I'm an active user of social media. I love it. And particularly on Instagram, I'll share photos and pictures at home or memes or things. But they're never one that I would be embarrassed if the co- and the, not the queen, <laughs> the king or whoever, someone <laughs> very important uh, was to look at and I'd laugh and go, well, it's pretty funny. And it, they're always me and I think you're talking about that authenticity that we want a need from our leaders today we are gravitating to people who are actually real and not the spin version that you know is all too perfect absolutely absolutely but maybe if you're yeah you're probably not going to win any clients in the opposition team if (laughs) you're doing that too much No, well, actually, I did have one client who supports our rivals who suggested we meet up for a drink before the, the derby game. And I know my friends. I was like, no, <laughs> really, no. It could it's be dangerous. The, it could not be the dangerous. Best, not the best idea in the world. <laughs> when we talked about rapport and you talk about being yourself with people and, and we sort of say if people don't like it, that's fine. But there are people you do have to get on with. Yeah. That you don't necessarily find that rapport with or who do want to keep things very professional yes Uh, so you talk about reading the room let's talk about individual connections rather than a presentation or or anything like that what tells you where it's going and how do you change course if you Mm. feel that someone if that rapport isn't coming uh and and are there times when you dial back the authentic you you know where's the line for you on that if you like absolutely so i guess Part of being a leader is understanding how you can best influence an outcome, a situation, a decision, a person. And so there are many times where I realise actually, you know, and you're picking up on cues, reading their body language, the signals, all of that, that in fact this person isn't interested in the fact that I have a dog sleeping in the background. They just want to get down to business and and that's okay. So I don't judge anyone for that. I need to understand that for me to influence whatever the outcome I'm looking for in that context requires me to match where they're at. Now, that doesn't extend to them being rude or dismissive or lacking respect because that would butt up against my hard line of, hang on, that's not how we interact. But if I can have the most influence through modulating or calibrating, I'm still myself, I'm still being me, but I'm doing it in a way that's going to have the best impact, that's okay. I don't don't have any issues with that. It's like if I'm going to talk to a five-year-old and try and help them through a situation, I'm going to do that very differently than I might to a retiree who's seen it all before. But it's still me. It's still the same person. But you're always reading, well, how can I have the most impact? And just quickly finish on that, you know, sitting on company boards in different industries with different cultures, you really learn how to have the most impact as a board member because the way I might have the best impact in one company is going to be very different in another company where the dynamics around the boardroom table are different or where the culture is different. So it's no different. It's still you, but I think you do need to be able to meet the other person where they're at to build connection. So in in what I think is a bit of an extension of that point 
you know, your book is, uh, as we've said, it's about head and heart leadership, leading with the head and leading with the heart. Is that something that is done together in one piece? Are there times when you lead with the head and there are times when you lead with the heart? And in what types of scenarios will that be different? Well, the art of modern leadership, which is the subtitle, it's really the art of knowing what is needed and when. And it can change on a dime. So, you know, you could go into a budget meeting and think it's going to be all about numbers and spreadsheets and whatever. And then suddenly you pick up that actually one of your colleagues is pretty upset (laughs) that you've cut their budgets and you didn't talk to them about it. And suddenly, you know, you need to draw on a whole heap of humility or or empathy for what that situation is going to be for that person. So I think it's impossible to have a, a golden rule that you need this percentage of head and this percentage of heart ever. It's all about this art of not, of knowing what is needed and when and constantly understanding which of the attributes, I'm sure we'll talk about them, are going to be most helpful in any given situation. But you need a balance. This is not about being stronger in one and thinking that'll get you through. Modern leaders, the leaders we want running our organisations, in our families, in our communities, have a balance of both the head and the heart. Well, let's talk about the attributes, as you mentioned them. So what are the key attributes that you talk about in the book and and what do we need to know about? Yeah. Well, firstly, I want to say for anyone listening, go and visit headheartleader.com, headheartleader.com. Totally free, take you five minutes. But I built a scale with one of the business schools here in Australia. And I think I just looked earlier today, 18,700 people have done it from 114 countries since January. And it's going to show you how you self-assess on all of these attributes I'm going to talk about and how you compare to others. So that's the first thing to go and do. So you're actually understanding how you sit in some of these. So what it means to lead with the head very quickly, if this is all the stuff we're great at because you can read it, write a policy about it, put it in a box and measure it. It's what we've been promoted for or rewarded at school for doing well at. The first is, and there's eight attributes all up, four head, four heart. The first head one is curiosity, and this is being curious not just about some things but about anything. And curiosity seems like a no-brainer, but we're actually pretty crap at it. There was one study of 3,000 people, 92%, not surprisingly, said they value curiosity, but only 24% of people actually get to experience it at work. So we've got a lot of effort we need to put into building curiosity. The second attribute is wisdom, and that's all about decision-making, weighing up data and evidence and risk and reward in making good decisions. This is my worst attribute. So of the eight, you'll get in your report, you get a ranking, and mine's number eight for wisdom. And that's because I'm incredibly good at making a decision. I can make a decision very quickly, but about 80% of them work out. 20%, I think I probably should have spent a bit more time thinking that one through. So Not a bad ratio. <laughs> well, I'm being generous on myself here, of course. The third is perspective, and this is the most important. My research found that of all eight, the one that correlates most highly with the other seven, and this is about being able to read a room, which we've been touching on. And the important thing with perspective is obviously you can read a room. It could be a physical room or your organisation or your industry, whatever it is, but you notice who's missing from the room. 
And that's incredibly important for leading around diversity and inclusion because you notice the voices that either are there but not being heard or are missing altogether. And then the fourth head attribute is capability. And this is linked very closely to Carol Dweck's work on growth mindset. So it's not just being capable in your role, but it's believing you're capable as well. And that's quite different. And people who lead in through capability also like to build family trees of leaders. So they're really about, you know, passing on and building capable leaders around them. So they're the forehead based, all important. We need all of them. Most people are pretty comfortable with those. Equally important, but much harder to measure and see and put in a policy are the four heart-based attributes. The first being humility, and this is all about intellectual humility, understanding, you know, you've got limitations, that you don't know all the answers, you are prepared and willing and love receiving other points of view, you know, because we just humbly are aware that we don't know it all. The second is self-awareness, and that is all about understanding the impact that we're having on those around us, understanding our triggers and, and what's likely to set us off. The third is empathy, and empathy means in this case it's not sympathy or pity or compassion, but it's really putting yourself in the shoes of others and understanding different Um, lived experiences to your own and finally courage and courage to stand up for what you believe in even in the face of pressure not to do so and you build cultures where other people are able to be courageous as well so they're the eight attributes and I came up with those through research started with a very long list of attributes that you know one might expect and then was able to narrow those down but it's all about balance and the art as I said of modern leadership is knowing which of those is needed and when. I think there's some real connections there as well between the head and the heart uh, attributes so you know curiosity and humility really tying together as an example and curiosity has been a running theme on the Connected Leadership Podcast. It's really interesting. There, there are times when suddenly the same topic comes up time and time and time again. I had Daniel Alanda, former global talent lead for Google, talk about we need a learning quotient. You know, we have EQ and IQ, we need LQ. And moving from being the person in the room who knows all the answers to the person in the room who asks the most questions. Yeah. And we had more recently Steph Alping from the US talking about not being a know-it-all, but being a learn-it-all. And, and yeah. I, I'm just gobbling this up because I think it's so powerful. And in I terms feel, of making... But what's interesting is I think most people would agree with you. Curiosity is absolutely essential. We're born with it, yet we lose it because we work in organisations where there's so much time pressure, you haven't got time to be curious. You work in a bureaucracy that it's just impossible to be curious or you work in an organisation that has no psychological safety, so it's not safe to ask questions. Uh, I was just going to say, Steph said exactly the same thing, but took it further back. We're curious, I think she said, until we're about 10 years old. But then yes. at school, you know, you're, you're suddenly, if you ask a question in class, it's deemed as stupid. You're expected to know the answers rather than ask intelligent questions and so forth. So actually, it's, it's at a younger age, it, it's bred okay. out of us. Totally. Well, you think little kids put their fingers up their nose to see what it tastes like. (laughs) We very quickly stop them and say, you know, don't do that. Now, that's for no social etiquette reasons, but they're doing it because they're curious. Yeah. 
The, the, the other one that, that really jumped out at me, and I love all, all of them, I, th- I can see the relevance of all, but I love when you said perspective, it's noticing who's missing from the room. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really powerful because I don't think most people do that. We focus on what's in front of us, what's not. And I've said this before in the podcast as well. I've spoken a lot over the years for women's networks, particularly in corporates. Uh, three talks coming up to finish the year on that. And for many years, I saw the focus being on the D in DNI, as it was more commonly known then. And it was when the I landed for me, the inclusion piece, that everything really made sense. It, you know, all the arguments against women's networks and against ethnic networks and against policies to raise people could be argued. I, I talk a lot about cognitive diversity and the importance of having different ideas. But when you start talking about inclusion, who's not in the conversation, it suddenly really makes sense. Does everyone feel included? So I think that, that just really stood out for me. You would see it from from uh, from that perspective, using the word that you, that you had as the attribute. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think inclusion needs to be the strategy and from that diversity will follow. But you have to start with inclusion. One of the things that if you're looking at leading from head and heart that really fascinates me, and I I wonder if it comes under perspective and self-awareness from your attributes, is the importance of taking time to reflect. You know, a lot of what you've said is about reading the room. Is about understanding people. It's about responding in the right way. Now, obviously, the biggest danger or challenge to that is our limbic system. It's our monkey response to, to what happens. So our reflex reaction, to, and, and that's where I guess the heart initially really takes over um, because we're not leading with our head in, in that sense. We're not stopping and thinking. We're, we're, we're being instinctive in our reaction. What do you do to create space for, for, for reflection, to manage your instinctive reactions and to make sure that you don't damage relationships or lead it the wrong way by going on instinct alone? And, and, and to what level does instinct and intuition play an important role mm. in leadership for you? Oh, I, I do think it's critically important, but by understanding instinct and emotion, you also need to understand its limits and its triggers. And, you know, I keep thinking about poor old Will Smith at the Oscars last (laughs) year who jumped up on stage and was slapping the host before he would have even thought about what he was doing. And that was a classic limbic response or an amygdala hijack, as Daniel Goleman would call it. And I think, you know, all of us have those. Fortunately, we don't do it in front of 300 million odd people and <laughs> hopefully you're not physically assaulting someone. But the idea that, you know, we all have conversations where I know I'll start to feel hot, my neck will, you know, tighten. And I had a conversation recently where I thought it was going to go one way, which was all very positive to me. And in fact, within a minute, I'd realised I totally misread where this was going and, in fact, it wasn't going to be a good conversation at all. And I could feel that trigger of whether it's shame or ego or embarrassment, What we've all got them, but I could feel that physical response and that's the way I can then tell myself, I've taught myself through many mistakes of ignoring it and acting, you know, rashly, but I knew that was happening and I knew this relationship was important to me. And so rather than then, 
you know, thinking about how I was going to navigate what was going to be this amazingly positive conversation, uh, it all became about staying present in the moment and maintaining the relationship and, and getting through it, which I did. Now, that doesn't always happen. When you talk about time for reflection, I do think after those incidents, I'm pretty good at reflecting on what has happened and then you know I'm an optimist and so I'm able to then think okay well that that didn't go as planned but how here's how we'll now deal with whatever has evolved I think though when it comes to this stuff it's actually the people around you that can give you the best feedback because often when we're in that space we're not cognizant we're not as conscious of how we're dealing and perhaps in that conversation I just cited maybe I've re-reflected on it and thought I did great (laughs) whereas if you were to ask the other person they might say oh yeah that was really difficult (laughs) you know I have no I don't think so but unless we have others actually that we trust that want to see you succeed and are prepared to tell you what you might not want to hear or might not see yourself I think it's really difficult to make sure that your responses are always ones that are really helpful. And, of course, a a limbic response could be an enthusiastic positive response as much as a a negative defensive response. So it could be running away with an idea and enthusiasm for an idea as well, couldn't it? And you've still got to read the room. Like I am definitely someone who can get overexcited. Well, whether it's overexcited, let's say, but I might, again, not be matching that with the person that I'm dealing with and suddenly they're feeling a bit overwhelmed and pressured and, you know, hang on, this has gone 10 miles faster than I wanted it to. So you're right. It's really understanding, again, having that self-awareness of the impact we're having on those around us. Just to, to finish off, I'm, I'm aware people could be listening to this podcast at any time, you know, and it, I'm sure it will be a connected leadership gold at some point as well in the future. But we're recording it just before the end of 2023. Do you have a particular routine uh, at the end of a year, start of a new year? Do you set goals for the year ahead? And how do you sort of mark the break and reset going forward? Is it a key point for you? Yeah, it is really important for me to have a break because I am someone who loves what she does or what I don't want to talk in the third person. I love what I do, (laughs) but that means you can let it take over your life. You know, it's just always something I'm thinking about and working on. So I'm in Australia, so we have summer for Christmas and I live on the beach. And so I'm planning to take December off and then January I'm starting work on my next book so that for me is just a joy so I actually can't wait but I will take December off and I'll use some of that time to really map out some goals for next year. I am a big believer in you know writing down even those big hairy audacious goals that you never think are possible. I look back at lists now and I I love to see what I thought was impossible you know, 10 years ago, and then I've exceeded them in many cases. And it's just that reminder that it really makes a difference if you start to visualise where you want to go, you end up making conscious and unconscious choices that'll see you get there. So I'll spend a bit of December doing that. Brilliant. And what's the next book going to be about? Ah, well, you shall have to wait, Andy, (laughs) and then I shall come back on your podcast and tell you all about it. When I'm flogging the next book. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're welcome at any time. Kirsten, it's been great to chat and 
very much like last week's conversation as well. It's been great to build on our meeting in London and get to this. One of the joys for me of this podcast is getting to know people and getting a chance for an hour, just relax, chat about things that we've got in common. So, like with Michelle, I've really enjoyed this. Uh, and yeah, thank you so much for joining me on the Connected Leadership Podcast. So thank you so much to, to Kirsten. We're recording this because of the time difference between the UK and Australia. It's the start of the day here and it's given me a smile on my face to uh, and a burst of energy to continue my day. So if you're listening early in the morning, then hopefully it's done exactly the same for you. I know what I'm doing next and that's I'm going to headheartleader.com and I'm going to check out my attributes. But just a reminder of those uh, eight attributes for the head, it's curiosity, wisdom, perspective and capability and for the heart it's humility self-awareness empathy and courage so many of those attributes are themes that have come up time and time again on the connected leadership podcast i don't think that's any surprise any coincidence so much of what uh, kirsten shared with us was resonant and relevant to many of the conversations that we've had so i think that was a great way to finish the year in terms of new shows I keep saying that because I don't want you to switch off. There's the Connected Leadership Gold Archive to come over the next few weeks. Uh, I will wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Uh, As I'm recording this at the end of November, I hate people talking about Christmas in November. I know this is coming out nearer Christmas. It feels weird saying that this early. Um, But I am going to say Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Thank you so much, everyone who's listened who's reviewed and rated, who's posted about the podcast, who's messaged me. I love it when people just reach out to me to say they enjoy it. I had a lovely message from Japan just a few weeks ago, and it it means a lot. So thank you so much for that, all of your support. Stay with us for Connected Leadership Gold and join us again in January for new episodes of the Connected Leadership Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Connected Leadership Podcast. If you found this valuable, please subscribe, tell your colleagues and friends, share on social media, and post a review on the podcast channel you use to listen to it. And of course, join us again soon for another interesting interview and great Connected Leadership tips.